So this morning I'm going to be carrying on from the series that Joel and I have been going through, which is Lessons from the Life of... And um, this morning I'm going to be looking at Lessons from the Life of Rahab. So I'm going to keep it really simple um, and just basically look at who was Rahab, where she was mentioned in Scripture, and what are some of the key lessons that we can draw out from her life. Uh, And I've got three for us this morning. So if you'll turn with me, please, to Joshua chapter 2. So to give you some context, Moses has now died and Joshua is the man chosen by God to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And in Joshua chapter 1, God has spoken to Joshua and told him it's time now to take Jericho. So what he does is he chooses two men. To be two spies to go into Jericho and to suss it out and try and get some intel for him. So that's where we are in Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there the night. Whoa. (laughs) Sounds a bit sus, doesn't it? Now, Rahab, just so you know, she um, had a house that was quite prominent, so it was actually embedded in the wall of Jericho. And so someone has obviously, because of this um, house in a prominent position, seen these two men coming in, and now the king has caught wind of the fact that um, they might be there. So in... 2 verse 2, that someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I don't know where they were from. They left town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went, but if you hurry, you could probably catch them. So she tells a big fat lie. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road, leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up onto the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below." Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. So then she goes on to cut a deal with them that when Jericho is conquered, if she keeps them secret and helps them to escape safely, that she and her family would be spared. And they make an arrangement that um, they're going to leave a scarlet rope hanging from her window as a sign um, 
that she will be kept safe, which is a very familiar picture, isn't it? Um, it, for me, speaks of sort of the covenant and reminds me of Exodus when the blood was um, smeared across everyone's doors that was going to be spared. So if you just jump down with me to chapter 22, they've made their deal, the spies escape. Um, the spies went up to the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success, so they didn't find them. The two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. So that was their report back to Joshua, that they're all terrified of us and God is going to give us this land. How amazing is that? So my first point is this. When we experience fear, it's an opportunity to trust in God. When we experience fear, it's an opportunity for us to trust in God. Now, actually, it was amazing this morning. I was talking with um, Lisa, Joel's friend, or our friend from, um, from China, and she was telling me this morning, just casually, that um, she's had a really big health scare recently. And um, I asked her if I could share this, and she said yes. And she said that she uh, had cancer of the thyroid and that they recently removed it. And I said to her, I said, oh, how, how did that make you feel? How were you? And she said, I was excited. And I said, oh, my goodness, why? And she said, because everyone was praying for me, and I was excited to see what God was going to do. And I thought, my goodness, isn't that such an amazing example of how when we have a, a circumstance that might create fear in us, it's actually an opportunity then to trust in God and see what he does. So that was really um, cool, because that's exactly what I'm speaking on this morning. And when we look at fear, there's two types of fear. So there's worldly fear and there's godly fear. And they're two very different things. Um, so when we look at worldly fear, it's things that come up in our lives, things that will drag us down, things that might cripple us or depress us or constrict us. And some examples might be um, fear over your finances, um, fear over your health. Maybe you're facing some really difficult um, circumstances with your health this morning or maybe a, a close family member or friend and it can be a fearful time. Maybe you have a fear for your kids that something might happen to them. Maybe you're fearful of the future because there's a lot of uncertainty for you and you don't know what's in store in the future. Or maybe you're fearful of failing. Failure is a big fear for a lot of people. Maybe you're at school and you're scared of um, you know, not doing well, your end of your exams. These are all very real things, and I'm sure every single person in this room has experienced fear at one stage or another. Um, but when we look at the difference between worldly fear and godly fear, when we have a godly fear, when we allow God to turn our worldly fear into a godly fear, it gives us a new perspective on things, and it actually inspires us to action rather than to being passive. And godly fear should lead us ultimately to faith. So just an example in my life, I, um, I've always been a little bit of a scaredy cat. Um, I've never liked the dark. I've always been scared of the dark. Even to this day, I'm, I'm a bit scared of the dark. I don't like it. So when Joel's trying to trick me, he'll turn the lights off and I'll say, turn them on, turn them on. Um, but my whole childhood, I can remember being scared at nighttime. I used to think that the boogeyman was under my bed. I used to be really fearful at night a lot. And... Um, when I was 12 years old, uh, my mother and I were driving in the car late at night 
and uh, we were trying to get to the destination that we were going to, but my mum was having trouble because uh, she couldn't read the street signs well at night. There were a few that were missing, and so we got lost. And um, in hindsight, she says now she can recall, she thought someone might have been following us, but she wasn't really paying attention because she was more worried about trying to figure out where we were um, and get to where we needed to go. So anyway, at one point when we'd slowed down, uh, the car pulled up beside us and three men got out and one of them had a gun. And um, the guy who had the gun came to our my mum's driver's door, luckily it was locked, and he was um, trying to open it. And at that stage, my mum just put her foot down and the guy was running along the side of the car with his gun and with the door, holding onto the door. Luckily, my mum managed to get away and, and we went around the corner. At that stage, the three men jumped back into the car, came around and met us on the other side. And my mum did the fastest three-point turn you have ever seen in your life. And she was driving manual, so she was like ripping it up. And uh, she really was my hero that day. She did such a fast um, turn and they were running towards us. Anyway, we got away. And um, thankfully, we weren't hurt at all. It was fine. Um, but that was scary for me at 12 years old as well. It, it didn't help that I already was a bit of a scaredy cat. And there was a few other instances that sort of um, made it worse. And I think sometimes the enemy can take um, a natural disposition to something and then take an experience in our past and sort of exacerbate it and make it worse and make it worse over time. And gets to when I'm an adult, so my parents... We're away. I remember every time I was in the house alone, I'd get really scared. And one time my parents were away, and um, I remember running out. They had a gate, like a picket fence, and the gate always stayed open. I remember running out in a panic and shutting the gate and tying it together with string because it was broken and it didn't close, the latch didn't close. Let me just put it out there. The gate was about one metre high, so anyone of reasonable height could just... <laughs> right over the top. But it didn't matter because I wasn't thinking rationally because I was so scared and driven by my fear that I thought that might help. And I locked myself in the room and anyway, fast forward to now my adult life. Um, obviously, I got married to Joel and moved out of home and uh, Joel travels a lot for work, as most of you know. So when he would be away for the week, it would look something like this. Daytime, fine, happy, no problem. It would start to lead up to nighttime, and I would start to feel a little bit scared sometimes, not all the time, but every now and again. So what I would do when I was feeling scared is I would um, make sure everything was in order. I'd get in my pyjamas, have my dinner, everything, get everything I could possibly need for the rest of the night, put it in my room, and then I would lock myself in my bedroom for the rest of the night when it was dark and just stay in my bedroom. And I didn't think that was a big deal. It was just how I did things, right? And uh, anyway, um, obviously, every now and again, it would get worse, and I just got to the point and probably matured enough in my walk with God where I was like, hold on a second, this is not good. This is not healthy, and God can actually help me overcome this. Amen. So every time I felt that feeling come up, I would start to proclaim the name of Jesus, and I would say, just... I would um, sort of tell the enemy to get lost and I would just start to speak out loud and instantly I would have this wave of just calm come over me. And I was like, whew, I'm going to be okay. And um, I must say, it doesn't happen often now at all and Joel's travelled probably arguably more in the last year than he ever has. And I very rarely have that overwhelming feeling of fear that cripples me. Um, but it was just, it's a silly little example, but it was just something for me where I learnt that when I allow Jesus to help me overcome the fear, I don't have to stay in that place of remaining fearful. And we know that our faith requires an outworking. It requires action. We can read that in James 2. And actually, in James 2, Rahab's mentioned 
by name as an example of someone that we can learn from through the actioning of her faith. So fearing God doesn't mean that we need to be cowering in his presence, but having a, a godly fear means that we recognize the immense power of God and how insignificant we are in comparison to him. And that's the thing that Rahab understood. So she had a fear of God, whereas the rest of the Canaanites were in worldly fear because they worshiped false idols. And um, without the power of God, we can't have the same courage. And if you look at Joshua, it's a really interesting picture, Joshua 1 versus Joshua 2, because in Joshua 1, the first verse, God is speaking to Joshua. And I'm sure Joshua experienced fear. I mean, he's only human, right? But the difference is that through, all through Joshua, God is saying, be bold, be courageous. I am with you. So Joshua has a boldness because he knows, even though he might experience fear, he's got a godly fear and he knows that God is with him. Whereas we look at chapter 2, where Rahab, where we read before, is telling the spies that we are all afraid of you. We are all living in terror. We all have um, faint hearts. So they are all living in a worldly fear because they've heard the stories of what God did, even though it was nearly four decades earlier with the Red Sea. They have got a fear of God. And it's not a godly fear, it's a worldly fear. And I guess that's one of the characteristics that sets Rahab apart because God had destroyed arguably the most powerful army or, um, you know, the, the, of, that, of their time because um, in the parting of the Red Sea. But the difference between Rahab and the rest of the Canaanites is that instead of letting her fear driving her to stagnation and cowardice, she actually... Uh, her heart, something began to change in her heart and it became like almost a germination of faith that she was, wow, this God is powerful rather than cowering away and that's what led her to her salvation. So because of Rahab fearing God, she was able to begin developing a godly wisdom. If you just write down for me Proverbs verse 1, sorry, Proverbs 1 verse 7. So that was Proverbs 1. Verse 7, it says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And in Proverbs 15, verse 33, it says, Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom, humility, humility precedes honour. So as a result of Rahab's godly fear, not only was her life spared, but the life of her family was spared too. Because she understood that God was powerful enough not only to save her, but others as well. And it's okay to experience fear. We're all going to experience fear at some stage or another. But it's whether we allow Jesus to help us overcome that fear or not. Think of... Um, when Jesus was walking in on the water, I can't think of another time in the Bible where the people were, oh, there's probably many, but that's the one that stands out to me of when the disciples were in such fear in the middle of the storm. And um, I always remember that picture as Jesus is the only one, in, even amidst the storm, that can help us remain calm. And if we uh, have humility and come before God, uh, it helps us to put the focus 
back where it belongs. So it actually takes the focus off ourselves and our circumstance and puts it back on Christ. So like Rahab, we need to learn from her and have the right kind of fear towards God because God doesn't want us to live in worldly fear. You know who does want us to live in worldly fear? The enemy. And he does a very good job of it. He will run with it. Um, And God wants us to have the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, like it says in 2 Timothy. So next time you experience fear, it's an opportunity for you to put your trust in God and to let God help you overcome the fear that you're going through. Because godly fear should lead to faith. So my second point is that God sees your faith, not your reputation. So God saw Rahab and he saw her faith. He didn't see her reputation. She put her trust in God, not in the walls of Jericho. And we can see that because of her faith, it extended beyond herself, like I said before, because God often protects many for the sake of one. And so her family um, was saved from the destruction of Jericho too. She trusted that God would deliver them all from danger. And we must, we must remember that God's mercy extends to all people. So it's not just... Jesus didn't come to earth and die on the cross for a select few. He came for the whole of humanity. And when I first got saved, it was so easy for me to have faith for everyone around me, my family, my friends, strangers. And over time, you don't realize, but you start to feel like certain people are difficult to reach or, uh, or you're not willing to go there. But actually, God came for the whole of humanity and we need to allow God to rip off those limits and help us to have faith again, stir up faith for those family members and friends that don't know Jesus because God's desire is for none to perish. And when Rahab asked for her family to be protected, she was given very uh, specific instructions to be obedient to. So if you just look at Joshua 2, verse 17. So Joshua 2, verse 17. Before they left, the men told her, We will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. You know what goes hand in hand with faith? Patience. Because the thing is, she was given very specific instructions about an aspect, about what she needed to do next, but then she knew nothing else. And she had to trust in God and be patient in his timing. No one told her, you're going to be in the house for nearly six, seven days. No one said, you're going to stay in the house and not be able to leave for seven days. Um, And the thing is, um, faith goes hand in hand with patience and patience goes hand in hand with discipline. So when we're waiting for God's appointed time, it takes faith, patience and discipline um, to all 
outwork in our obedience to God. And sometimes God will give you the instructions to obey him, but we often don't know, well, we nearly never know the outworking of his timing. And Rahab was given instructions, um, but she wasn't given further instructions as to how it was going to pan out. So if you think about this from Rahab's point of view, I mean, she had to get her whole family into one house. Now, I don't know about you, but most people in their families have that one person that just questions everything. You know, like you're sitting there, everything's okay, but then there'll be that one that's questioning. And I don't know, we don't know what it was like for her sitting in that house. But if you just think about it, she was in the wall of Jericho. So they would have been right there hearing the men marching around every day. Surely one of them was like at day six was like, really? Like we're running out of baked beans in the pantry. Like can't we just quickly go out and get something? I mean, I mean, I know they don't have baked beans. But this is just where my mind goes when I'm imagining these things because it can't have been easy to stay in that house with your family. I mean, maybe she wanted her family to live, but maybe she didn't like all her family members. I don't know, you know. Anyway, they were stuck in a house together and it required patience for all of them. Not only them, but if you look at it from the Israelites' point of view, it required patience and discipline from them too because they didn't know how it was going to outwork either. They were just trying to be obedient to God and they were marching around the city every day in silence, which is why they left the women at home (laughs) because... (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking. But, but, I'm jo- <laughs> but, you know, it would have taken a lot of discipline to walk around. And we don't know how long it took to walk around the wall, right? But it would have taken a lot of discipline for them to do that. So from both points of the arrangement, um, when they made their agreement, they had to outwork patience and wait for how God was doing it. Because the thing is, God is always outworking a bigger plan. And we very rarely know all of the pieces Um, And God sometimes works in ways that we don't understand. Think about the two spies that God led them to a prostitute. I mean, when they got there, maybe they were okay with it. I don't know. But maybe they're also thinking, really? Like, this does not look good right now. But that was what God wanted them to do. And they were obedient in it. And God used that situation. So it's not our job to judge what God has asked us to do. It's our job to be obedient to what God has asked us to do. We see that Rahab was mentioned as only one of two women named in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. It says in Hebrews 11, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she she had received the spies with peace. So Rahab didn't have much to offer except her faith. And God said that even she was considered righteous. So it doesn't matter what your reputation is. It doesn't matter what your past is. God sees your faith. And she took some huge risks for God, which sort of made me think, when was the last time I took a huge risk for God? I don't know. My third and final point is that God's future plans and purposes are not limited to your past. So we can see God used someone with a reputation and it wasn't a good one. So we need to stop disqualifying ourselves from being available to be used. For example, I have known for many, many years that God has wanted me to share and to share from the front and to preach. But for many, many, many years, 
I disqualified myself over and over again, and I could give you a very long list of reasons why I shouldn't be standing here in front of you right now. But the thing is, at the end of the day, we have to be able to push that aside and have the faith that God can use us, flaws and all. And that he did, the thing is, he didn't change Rahab before he used her. He used her as she was. And she was just there, her faith was there, and God said, I will use you. And so we need to stop disqualifying ourselves. Because at the end of the day, the reason I am standing here today is because it's God's reputation that's the basis of my faith, not my own reputation. And yet we spend so much time worrying about our reputations and building our own reputations, sometimes for the opinions of people who ultimately don't even matter. But we just feel this strong need to defend ourselves, often to people who don't even know us. And people will criticize you. People may even criticize your ministry. I have had many people criticize my ministry over the years. But the thing is, we have to remind ourselves, we have to be faithful with what God's given us. That's our job, is to remain faithful in what God's given us and remember that it's his reputation that matters, not our reputation. And everything... In everything we do, we need to continue to build towards Jesus and not towards ourselves. And sometimes I do wonder how big the gap is between our reality and our reputation. So despite whether you have a good reputation, and don't get me wrong, it's a good thing to have a good reputation, but despite whether you have a good reputation or a bad reputation, and despite whether you have a past that you're proud of or a past that you're not proud of, we need to remember that when we come to Jesus and when we're saved, we are made a new creation in him. And so our identity changes because our identity is in Christ, not in the reputation that we've created for ourselves. And maybe you won't even be able to shake your reputation. Maybe it's one that will sort of stand the test of time. Look at Rahab. Every time she's mentioned in the Bible, she's not just mentioned as Rahab. She's mentioned as Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute. I mean, she could, even in Hebrews, when it's the faith chapter, it's like Rahab the prostitute. She could not shake that, even after everything she did. But I think it's there as a reminder to us that it actually doesn't matter, that God can still use you despite your reputation. He can still use you to build his kingdom. And Rahab uh, eventually learned more about God and she uh, grew in her knowledge of God and developed a character that uh, attracted the prominent tribal leader of Judah, Salmon. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It look, it's written Salmon. So I just didn't want... <laughs> Salmon, Salmon, Salmon. Take it as you like. Um, but the marriage of, of Salmon and Rahab... Um, they had Boaz. Boaz was their son, who then would eventually lead to the birth of King David and then ultimately to Jesus Christ, the Savior of mankind. So Rahab is in the lineage leading up to Jesus. What an amazing honor and privilege and an amazing testimony to how she was used for the kingdom. Um, so she was used by God to play a role in forming the lineage to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So she should inspire us to obey God. So no matter who you are, 
God can use you right here, right now. And we just need to be faithful and allow God to continue to deal with our past. So even though God can use you right here, right now, as you are, it's still important that we allow God to deal with things in our past because it will uh, affect your future if you don't. So what are the things that you're disqualifying yourself from this morning? Maybe you're experiencing things like fear, anxiety, failure, striving, unforgiveness, a lack of self-worth. Because God is wanting to heal us of these things. He's wanting to deal with them so that we can walk in fullness for what He has for us, for His plans and purposes. Um, it's a continual process of sanctification. We, salvation is the start of it, but then we need to continue to allow God to deal with these things because I heard someone say once that uh, broken leaders produce broken people. And we all lead in some capacity. Even if you're not a leader up the front here, you're still leading other people. And we are called to disciple uh, other people. So you are leading other people uh, if you're doing what the Bible's asked us to do. And so we need to make sure that our lives are dealt with and whole so that when we're discipling others, we're producing whole believers. We're not producing broken people who then have our issues because we didn't allow God to deal with us. So, and even this morning, if you've got, uh, if you don't have a specific uh, example in your mind of maybe some of the things that God does need to deal with, please remain open-minded because God might speak to you and show you something that you didn't even know was there. But just to give you an idea, uh, I'm going to read out some of those things that I read out before just as to get your mind thinking of some of the things that might be stopping us from walking in this wholeness. So the first one's obviously sin, fear, which we talked about earlier, Anxiety, envy, striving, bitterness, unforgiveness, belief in lies, a lack of self-worth. So we need to remember that our identity, our true identity is in Christ and we can't confuse prominence with significance. And failure. If you're struggling with failure this morning, let me encourage you. There are many people in the Bible who failed. We heard last week, Joel was talking about Samson, Abraham, Jonah, um, there were lots of people. And the thing is that unresolved failure will affect our future because um, it's just inevitable. But the thing is, God is greater than our failures. So we also need to remember that. And lastly, the thing that we sort of need to bring to the party is that we need to desire to be transformed. Um, and we need to be intentional when we're actually receiving restoration in ourselves because Wholeness will only come from us healing. And we need to be walking in the fullness now more than ever. Look at the time we live in. We need to be walking in the fullness of what God has for us so that the world can see the light. And I know I'm probably, I, I'm the first to admit that I'm not uh, walking in the fullness of what God has for me. I know that there's more and I know that there are things that God needs to deal with with me. If, if you've ever disqualified yourself, I want you to put your hand up. If you've ever disqualified yourself from doing something for God, for His kingdom, put your hand up. Yeah. And it may have been something, you know, that was in your past. And you may still be disqualifying yourself today. And if you are, God wants to deal with you this morning and now. So if it's okay, do we have a bit of time? 
it's okay, I'm just going to get the music team to jump up and just play because I'm trusting that God wants to deal with not only people who are disqualifying themselves, but people who maybe have a past or a reputation that they want God to heal them from or restore them from if they haven't received full restoration. Um, And we can learn from everything that Rahab taught us. So I'm going to pray for us.